0: What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. If you want to hear someone explain how high school football teams can have a wildly successful fundraising campaign, this is the pod for you. Today's guest is Brad Doherty, Athletic Director at Branson High School in Colorado, In a small rural community with a dilapidated football field, Doherty launched a fundraising campaign for a new turf field in December. In just over three months, he has led an effort that has brought in $440,000. They plan to have a $540,000 project completed by the fall football season. That's in 2021. Doherty goes through all the steps you need to take to get approval for a project like this, as well as how his marketing efforts, grant applications, and community outreach led to a viral fundraising campaign. April is Coaches Appreciation Month at FNF Coaches, and we'll be honoring coaches from all over the country for the commitment and sacrifice they make on behalf of student-athletes. Follow us on Twitter at FNFCoaches.com as we announce Coach of the Year winners from each state and offer giveaways for coaches, including a bundle pack that includes a drone. If you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce our weekly podcast, subscribe to the FNF Coaches podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google Play. Go ahead and give it a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. Let's get right to the interview with Branson High Athletic Director, Brad Doherty. Hey, Brad, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. First, let's talk about your school's background and just how this project came about. How many people uh, are at Branson High School and what are kind of the, the town and the dynamics in terms of uh, the
1: community? Sure. Branson is a small ranching community in southeast Colorado. We've got 49 people, residents of Branson. Um we are in the far southeast corner, nestled right along New Mexico. We're a ranching community. And we're about 50 miles from gas and groceries, so it's a very remote town. Uh, historically, we've been a, a baseball and most recent mo- and basketball community. Uh, seven years ago, we started uh, six-man football. We had a few guys ask our superintendent if we could start football. And we'd never done it in our town, and uh, he said yes. He was a longtime football coach, and he got it started. So we took our the outfield of our dilapidated baseball, I won't say dilapidated, more like unused baseball field, hadn't been used since I think the 80s, um, and converted that plus a little area into um, our football field. And it's, that's kind of how we got started. Uh, so we, yeah, we play six-man football. We've had as few as eight kids on the team, uh, as many as 15 one year, and that was a banner year for us. Um, so it's, it's been great. It's been a whole lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Now, what happened that really prompted and kicked off this effort uh, to construct
1: a new turf field? Sure. Um, In December, we had one of our two annual six man football association meetings where all the coaches get together and talk about all conference and all state players and talk about schedule for the upcoming year. And as the meeting ran to it, was about to wrap up. Uh, One of the opponents that we played this past year spoke up and said he was very displeased with the conditions of our field and would no longer play on our field unless significant improvements were made. And when he voiced that opinion, uh, several other had to be seven or eight different coaches also said, yeah, we feel the same way. We don't want to play in Branson Duda. We're concerned about the safety of our players. So this caught me completely off guard. It wasn't an agenda item. It wasn't anything that they had, any of those coaches had talked to me about. Our field is rough. It's an upgraded cattle pasture. Uh, We've removed all the big rocks and most of the cactus and stickers. Well, there's no cactus and stickers anymore. Uh, But they were genuinely concerned. And as a coach, I understand that. When I took a step back from being angry and offended and gathered my thoughts, I could put myself in their shoes pretty easily. Um, So that was December. December. And we're granted, it was a we finished a COVID year. So we played our football in the fall with a smaller condensed schedule against most of our most of the six-man teams did that here in Colorado. Um so we're looking at next year, and I've got a son that will be a senior on the team. He's our quarterback, and I've got a son that'll also be a sophomore next year. So two boys looking at the possibility of not having football home games for my son's senior year. Uh, So we decided, you know, what are our options? Our options are play elsewhere. Uh, And actually during the meeting, one of our nearby coaches, really good guy reached out and said that we could use his field for all of our home games. Uh, So we had an option in our back pocket, but football is everything we've got. We're, we're a small school. Like I said, we only have 49 people in town, 75 kids, K through 12, in the whole school, but we still don't have enough for a sports team. We actually combined with a school 45 miles from us in Kim, Colorado to have enough kids for all of our varsity sports. Uh, and we play most of those sports over there in Kim. They have a new facility. They have a brand new school built about five years ago. So a new gym. Uh they've got a track area that they can run, play volleyball in the gym too. Football was our only thing going for us here in our town. And over the last seven years, um, it's been really what the town has has grabbed onto that identity. They've supported our football program tremendously. We've had, you know, got to offer cheer for the girls. We've used our field for lots of fun PE stuff. And all of a sudden it's potentially going away. They can't use it. So the original thought was, oh man, we're going to skip a year and we're going to have to take a couple of years to raise all this money. But then we put the word out there and said, okay, folks, what are we going to do? And the first thing that, that we did is gathered up some folks and we, prayed about it. I'm also the pastor in town. Uh we prayed about the project, um, kind of put some feelers out and People just began to respond immediately. Uh, it started with uh, some local people stepping up. You know, with another, a gentleman with a grandkid on our junior high team, immediately donate said he would donate our goal posts and uh, stuff for the scoreboard and build us the whole announcers booth um, and a uh, railing around the whole field, just complete out of his pocket. It's like wow, that gave us some hope. And then we reached out to a person for for the Colorado sun, a Colorado internet-based newspaper, an independent newspaper. uh, And they wrote a tremendous article that got a lot of attention and people started calling me right away. Um, and then another gentleman who's who has two grandsons on the team uh, and also sat on the board of a group called the El Pomar Foundation. It's a big nonprofit in Colorado. And he was on that board for several decades and had raised millions of dollars for things in the Salida Mountain area in Colorado. And he told me, hey, Brad, here's your roadmap. Here's how you're going to do this. And here's how you're going to raise enough money for this football field. Um, so people started just really getting the word out there. And then we decided to make a little YouTube uh, infomercial. And so I wrote a little script and we had our four of our juniors now that will be seniors next year were the main characters. I had my my little kids, my kindergartners play our school board uh, who were in shock and awe when they saw the big price tag. We had some more elementary kids play the big, bad opposing coaches that were refusing to play. And some another group of kids playing our maintenance staff who trying to baby our dead grass field. It was really funny and clever and got a lot of traction. And and that really started the ball rolling. Then we started blitzing all of the media stations in Colorado. So um, Denver, Colorado Springs TV, anybody we could think of and said, Hey, we hit the tip lines and called them up and said, Hey, do you want to cover this story? And then it, yeah, it just kept on going. So
0: that's unbelievable. And I watched that video. It's a great video. And I think that that really probably helped you guys out because so many people uh, are entertained by it and kind of can relate to it. Um, now I want to go back because um, you know a lot of coaches I think look out at their football field and say hey we need a new turf field or we need to uh, to improve our facilities and they don't really know where to start and it sounded like you know first you prayed and then you kind of started finding out that uh, you could have some support and some uh, some people were willing to step in and make some financial c- contributions in terms of getting permission do you need to go to the school board first do you need to figure out uh, what the will? What the district is willing to contribute to the the funding? Where do you really get started?
1: I think the first thing. Well, in a small community like ours, I also sit on the school board. Uh, but again, if it was up to me, I'd write the check on day one. But okay. that's why there's lots of people on a board. That would not have been a wise financial decision for our school district. Um, I immediately made the need known. Our need was very pressing. I mean, I don't know that many coaches have a situation where it's urgent, um, but it's a required upgrade you know and it's hard places all over our country don't have enough water and that's really our issue too we had tried to keep our grass alive we investigated a a turf, um, a, a grass solution. So I guess maybe the first thing I did my homework and reached out to several vendors, uh, turf, turf companies, and I reached out to grass sod companies to kind of get some ballparks and pricing, figure out what was involved in the process. Um, how much water would it take to keep my grass field alive or our grass football field alive? You know, what's, how much ballpark expensive is it going to be so I could go to my school board and have at least an educated or a half educated uh, presentation just to plant the seeds. So I would say the first step is, yeah, pray, get some people around you, and then start doing your homework and put the feelers out there um, and figure out what's it going to cost, even at a high level, and and then go from there. So So my first thing was – uh, research and then yeah approaching the school board and getting there okay to start soliciting bids and f- going further down the process so th- that was the first kind of the first step
0: and when you said hey you know we're thinking this price tag you know it's it's now five hundred forty thousand. where did it start did you say hey it's going to be about a half a million dollars or where, when what did you think it
1: would be well, when we first started, I thought it was going to be half of that, um, just based on what you see online. And as you begin conversations with people trying to sell you product, it always is lower than you think. And we are so remote that the price of building a field uh, closer to a major metropolitan area would be probably much less because you got to travel so far. We're about, I said, 50 miles from gas and groceries, but from where a company, a major area of a town of about 100,000 people is about two and a half hours away. Wow. So. It, it would take a lot for construction crews to get all the way out here, so it quickly ballooned uh, from we had a, a sort of educated guess of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. All of a sudden, it's three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then we even get into it for reels and whittle our vendors down to two actual. Contenders, The top people that I think were the two best vendors, one of whom we chose, and their estimates were over $400,000 once they actually started figuring out how much it would cost to build it out here in our remote location. So, and and people around here know that works and how projects always regardless of where you are, they expand. Um, So in my back of my head, I was thinking, yeah, we're going to have to raise a half a million dollars to actually get this done when it's when it starts. So Yeah, it was kind of – it was shock and awe when I put it out there. And for us, saying, you know, this isn't a classroom, this isn't a necessary facility for education, um, but it is so much for, you know, kid development. We can use it for so many different things. And we chose turf because once you install it, it's there. You know, yes, you might have to – change swap it out or get new turf in 15 or 20 years but even with a school as small as ours it should last even longer than that unless it starts to just ultimately dry in the sun you know a couple decades from now but um so yeah it was it was an interesting it was a bigger price tag than any of us thought but we quickly learned it was it was doable it was going to be doable
0: yeah and the uh, when you say you know i think that was a smart choice to do the turf especially in colorado where you know with drought conditions and you know the lack of water uh, the much you know, you'd end up paying. You know, a, it's easier to budget, I think, than to say, "Oh, we're gonna pay for the water every year to keep the grass green and all that." Uh Now, in terms of, uh, it, it's it's an aggressive goal, obviously, half a million, and you know, to have this type of outreach and support, I would imagine, has been surprising. What what did you think the timeline would be to get this done? You said your son's going into a senior year. Did you ever imagine you might be able to have the field in place by then?
1: Well. And a, Gosh, how do I phrase this? Initially, no. Instantly, I would say no. My my thought was, oh, man, we're going to have to go on the road. But very quickly, it became evident. And it was a, that conversation with the gentleman, and I can share kind of his kind of roadmap for those that said, here's how you're going to do this, and here's how it's going to play out. Um, so the roadmap that, that we kind of used that quickly made it re- a reality, as he said, we break the project down into thirds um, and then a third of the budget needs to come from local support, you know, grassroots funding, however, that's going to happen. Uh, a third of the project needs to come from uh, foundational grants. And then a third of the project can come from larger private donors. So that's where we kind of shot for. So we took that goal of, okay, $450,000. That was our original kind of ballpark. And it broke down nicely uh, into, into nice marketable chunks. Um, So we said, okay, our goal is now $150,000 to raise just on social media campaigns, reaching out to family and friends, you know, our immediate players and families and That happened on a relatively quick basis. It was really, really neat. Um, The other big part, you know, for people considering um, funding for new fields is foundational grants, Um, searching out for those, jumping on those as quickly as you can. Um, You know, as the word got out, now we were fortunate. One of the biggest foundational foundations in Colorado, it's called the Daniels Fund. They saw our video, saw the story somewhere, and they actually reached out to me and said, hey, apply for this grant for this much right now, and we're going to rush it in and make sure it gets in on this granting cycle so we can tell you in three weeks, uh, which is unheard of. You know, usually you submit. It's a quarterly cycle, and you hear a couple months after that. So it's really a six-month turnaround. And that was what was in our situation, um, a little disheartening. Thinking, oh man, if we're going to have to apply for grants, it's going to be six months. We're going to miss the senior season. We got to do this in three. You know, we got to start construction in three months if we're going to hope to have it ready to go. So, uh, so it worked fast in our favor. Um, but yeah the foundational grants that's big some of the other big things that are out there that coaches may be aware of you know the nfl foundation uh nfl teams don't directly i had a lot of people in the community say oh the broncos should help you out reach out to the broncos a lot of people saying that well they've got lots of money right uh, they don't directly fund fields no nfl team does they've set up the found, the nfl foundation that works with another corporation that specifically gives out lots of money to build fields and to buy lights and bleachers, and to really, and both grass fields and artificial turf fields. So that would be the first place to really go. Then they have one granting cycle in the spring of every year for projects that they want to have completed by October. Um, so it's kind of a yearly thing. So if you can get in and plan for that, fantastic. Now, that was a little after our timeframe of when we wanted to build our field. So we pursued other foundational grants in Colorado. We went ahead and pers- and did apply for that one. Who knows? Maybe we'll get it. And um, be able to put in some lights, but uh, we won't hear about that one for another another month, really. Um, So applying for lots of foundational grants, that's a big thing. The other neat thing to do to really kind of put some feet as you're going through those applications and getting your word out there, and you want to make a polished presentation to your big donors, not just your aunts and uncles, but is to come up with a five or six page project plan to address Exactly kind of bullet point. You can sit down with somebody and say, here are the needs that we have. Uh, here's why this is not just important to my team, but it's also important to my community. Um, here are the issues that this field, this facility, this solution is going to answer. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's when it's going to get done. And here are the benefits that we're going to see. So we created about a five-page presentation a document that we could take and hand out mail to people and then you could take that information and also plug it into a lot of the different grant applications and stuff so taking some time and that took a good couple weeks to really get that nailed down and looking sharp and professional Um, that's a big big step so hopefully you got some good writers some people that can edit and proofread and photoshop and and get something that looks nice uh, you'd be amazed at what kids can do uh, to, to make it make things look sharp because they're better at Photoshop and anything than, than you or I are um, but yeah that, that was a big a big step there.
0: yeah I was gonna say the presentation on your website is so uh, professional and cuts right to the point and you like you said it kind of lays out this is our timeline this is who it's going to benefit. Uh, and I think that's something coaches kind of struggle with at times. I think we're always looking to get more coverage for our players or more coverage for our teams, and we don't always know how to ask for it. What was your message when you reached out to, you know, the Denver Papers and some of the bigger uh, news outlets when you said, hey, we'd like some coverage? Um, How would you kind of spin that?
1: That's a great question. Well, well, first, you know, if even when thinking about the message that you're going to put out there, it's not something that one person needs to come up themselves. Uh, it needs to be a team effort. I'm not the head coach. I'm the athletic director. So our our head coach, he's the guy focused on player development. So I kind of spearheaded this and got others involved uh, in, in this kind of creation process. So the first thing is get a team around you and then really brainstorm about, okay, what's the message that we want to share? What's the story that we want to tell for us? It was and this was also part of the framework that 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 foundational guy kind of laid out for me says, Brad, it needs to be part of a successful story. People want to partner with you in success. They don't want to give you a handout. They want to be a part of your success story. So when we approached the TV stations, we approached it with all the positivity we could. And it was a beautiful counter story to everything at the time going on. This was right during the, the riots in the Capitol, you know, all the crazy COVID stuff, all this negativity everywhere. And we could approach them and say, hey, here's this feel good story you know here's a group of of kids that are striving and fighting to raise money to play sports because it got taken away from them by a bunch of big bad bullies and uh, granted i painted those coaches as big bad bullies and they're actually really nice guys and they know i threw them under the bus but hey i didn't name any names but they they played a role i needed a villain. but we told the story, and, and the story was, hey, come help us share this amazing story. You know, we're we're not begging for a handout. We're we're going to build a field, and we invited people to be a part of that process. Um, and that was really really exciting. We also reached out and tried to find. Um, we we stumbled across one news affiliate. It was an NBC affiliate in Denver, and they do a weekly community give back um, segment on their TV sh- on one of their TV shows. And so that gentleman, we kind of heard about it, reached out to him. Actually, I was in the process of typing an email to him, and he emailed me. It was kind of weird on the same day or something like that. Um, so if you can connect with one of those weekly give back campaign campaigns at, on a on a local TV station that has an amazing Amazing impact will reach people that will never have heard of your school. So invite people, I would say, all of the news outlets you can think of the newspapers, um, the TV stations, the radio, local radio shows. Uh, anybody that will share your story and hit their tip lines, and we inst- we called it a media blitz. So I had a group of all of my parents, all my players. I had a list of all of their websites and all of their names. So people got bombarded with, and I had a little text, a little couple paragraphs. Actually, it was one paragraph, and you know, it's saying, "Hey, hit them with this. This is the description. If I do it myself, they're not going to notice. But if 50 people hit them with the exact same thing, somebody's going to follow up." And sure enough, I think that really helped. It was a focused blitz of, of your area stations.
0: Uh, yeah, I would say it definitely has helped. I mean, 440000 and, you know, everything's moving so quickly. Obviously, everything you did worked pretty well. Now, you said you got a couple of different proposals uh, when you were trying to decide which company to go with for this, and it didn't necessarily come down to the money because you said, uh, you know, the companies that you thought might do the best job came in, you know, maybe at about 400000 where some other ones were a little bit less. What how did you decide on which company to go with? What, what factors did you consider?
1: Well, the, the top two for us, it, as rural as we are and as small as we are, um, it was interesting, uh, you know, folks dealing with small communities. Um, I think there's some folks that just expect you to kind of roll over and not do your homework. And I peppered these vendors with lots and lots of questions, uh, questions about this, about that. And I was open and honest saying, hey, vendor A does it this way. Vendor B, why do you not do it that way? Vendor A, here's what they're going to charge for this. Vendor B, what are you going to do? You know, and I played them against each other and, and tried to whittle them down as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. It, it came down for us when it came to choosing the vendor um, who we thought had the best product for our players, um, you know, which was, we actually chose a vendor that's going to install an AstroTurf field. And we just, the, the presentation, the technology, um, the The proximity for us, the installation company was it was out of Pueblo, Colorado, which is, again, about two and a half hours from us as opposed to out of Denver. Um, So a little closer Um, and just the relationship. These guys, when I was dealing with them, I felt they really um, bent over backwards. Um, And the the other top vendor did as well Answered a lot of stuff, but we just ultimately chose the, the AstroTurf Pueblo company. Just felt better about it. There, really, when it came down to it, both of those top two vendors were within ten to twelve thousand dollars total cost difference. Uh, So apples to apples, it was just what was our preference, and we would have been happy with the other one as well. Um, It wasn't. they're, They're both really good. We just kind of made the, made the call after doing lots. Oh my gosh. They probably got tired of all the back and forth emails. And I was nitpicking them on this and trying to ask them for discounts on this and discounts on that. And, you know, just, Hey, no harm, no foul. And they still wanted the business. So keep after it.
0: (laughs) Well, good for you. Yeah. You know, you got to take a, an active role in that process. That's great. Now I saw on your timeline, there's two different steps in getting Branson school board approval Is I imagine the first one, you know, you're just asking for permission. The second one, you're kind of giving them a more organized proposal and cost and everything like that. Is that how that works?
1: Yeah, but that's how we chose to do it was I needed to, before, you know, started asking for bids, uh, That's usually how that's how our school policy is, that we bring things to the school board over a certain dollar amount and say, okay we're putting this out for bid. Do we have permission to do this? And so that was that was the first step of permission. The second step was, okay here are the costs. Here are the two vendors. uh, What can we let's pick one as a school board and move forward? So that was that was the second one. And there's about the two month window for us. I, I guess let me think about we started in. January. I don't have the the timeline right in front of me. I think it was middle of March Mm -hmm. is when we actually made that decision. And we were already fundraising that whole time towards this. So once they gave us that first go ahead at that first board meeting, that's when our fundraising hit pedal to the metal. We took that roadmap, we blitzed, we did all that stuff. So by the time that second um, board meeting had come come to pass. I think our price tag was four hundred fifty thousand. We had raised about three fifty of it at that point in time or three seventy five. We were getting close. So I was able to show the board, hey, we're there. And we had a couple big grants we were waiting to hear on. And like so it was a pretty much a slam dunk at that point in time saying, hey, we're gonna get there. It's gonna be awesome. This is a win win for everybody. Let's pick a winner and let's move.
0: Now I've seen at other programs at other schools, uh there are different points throughout this process where the fundraising efforts kind of lose momentum. It might be, you know, you get school school board approval and then people are thinking, okay, you know, they're going to do it. You know, I don't need to contribute anymore. Or maybe you break ground and, you know, you've, you've got 350 raised. you need to get the 450 and people are like, oh, well, they're, they've already broken ground. They're, they're, they're where they need to be. How, were there points where you lost momentum or in a campaign like this that's kind of gone viral? Do you just continue to get momentum a lot, as you go?
1: Well, it definitely came in waves um, as we blitzed and as, as news got out there. So once we kind of were able to say, all right, we're starting and we've already had $50,000 $50,000 worth of materials donated. People are like, oh, wow, okay, we're this isn't just a pipe dream. People are actually stepping up to the plate in a significant way. And then the TV media happened. It's like, wow, okay. Then there was a huge wave of stuff that just kept rolling in for several weeks as people would share it, different things. And, and all the while, you know, every story that comes out, we're pushing it back out to our parents and our leadership group and our players saying, hey, share it again, share it again, share it again. Um, we're going – you know, the next big wave, we got actually picked up by USA Today. And and each each piece of media coverage gives you more credibility to take it to the next level. So the USA Today article comes out, and then that was another big wave and another big single donation from somebody. And then another foundation in the Denver area saw us and contributed tens of thousands of dollars. Um, So it, it comes in waves as information gets out there. And the challenge I think for us and for any project like this is you have to put a timeline out there so that it's not indefinite. If people say, oh, my gosh, this is a five-year giving campaign, I'm not going to give for five years. But if there's a a start and a stop, and this was part of that roadmap that that gentleman gave, and it's proved true to us, is you tell people we're starting, we're going to raise money for three months, and then – we're going to start building. We've got three months to do this. It creates a sense of urgency and it creates a finality to it. And from a management point, you know, we were going pedal to the metal. It was pretty exhausting to keep up with everything for myself, for the leadership team. And it was nice to have an end goal. Um, and, and once you kind of got in a rhythm, um, there, there's all of that where you're, you're going. So it's also a matter of motivating your leadership team and keeping people engaged and Asking folks and and equipping them to have those conversations with their rich neighbors and friends, um, giving them the tools they need and, and kind of keeping on them to say, hey, have you had that conversation? Have you talked to that business yet? Have you done this? And keeping people accountable. But with that target window at the end. So they're not thinking, oh, my gosh that guy's going to keep hounding me for the next year. No, it's only going to be for three months, but yeah, in those three months, you're going to hate me because I'm going to push us. Um, and we're going to just keep rolling. But the beauty of our project was I didn't have to push. Um, it just was a beautiful thing. We had some hard workers, but everybody's very motivated to get it. done.
0: What online platform are you using, uh, as like a call to action to get people to donate if they come across a story and they feel like, you know, like they want to give.
1: Sure. Um, we tried to do something real simple. What what could we use that people could get that people had access to? We th- thought about Venmo. We thought about, you know, just direct Facebook uh, donations. And we ultimately decided to use PayPal. Um, everybody charges about the same in terms of a percentage of each transaction. PayPal lets us do, you know, PayPal accounts plus all sorts of, you know, bank transfers, uh, credit cards. You can pay however you want. It also allowed us to have uh, instantly when they get to the donation page, they can click certain different giveable amounts. And so for us, we decided, you know, our goal was $450,000, which broke down to a hundred yard field. Um, So because our six man fields, only 80 yards long. So you tack on 20 yards for end zones, you get a hundred yards. So 450,000, it divided mathematically and marketing wise really nicely. So 450, I'm sorry, $4,500 equated to one yard. So break that down. A foot is $1,500. Every inch is $125. So when people got to the website, they could donate an inch, which is $125 or four inches, which is $500 or more, or a random place. So they could easily, quickly pick big amounts. Um, And that was handy. That was really, really nice. Now, when we did our weekly giving back or weekly give back campaign with that TV station, uh, Nine News in Denver. Give them a shout out. Shout out. They're awesome. Um, They asked for a specific thing. They wanted smaller amounts because their viewers were have always been told in their campaigns, five, 10, 20 bucks. And that's what we put out there. And there was thirty seven hundred people responded and gave about eighty thousand dollars just with little five, ten, twenty dollar donations. It was pretty overwhelming trying to keep track of all the thank you emails to send out. Um, but so we, yes, we just had a, a, we used PayPal integrated really nice into our little WordPress website, just did it pretty simply.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Now I wanted to ask, uh, you know, I, you see a lot of times when people are going for district money or, you know, they're trying to get school board approval, they'll make the project into more, be something beyond football. And they'll say, you know, this is for the community. They can come and they can walk around the track and, um, or, you know, this will give them opportunities to socialize. We'll use it for other sports, all that stuff. Uh, why do you think that was so important in your project to um, appeal to people beyond football?
1: Sure. Well, I think first uh, to answer the school board's question, they brought up a legitimate question. It's like, why are we building a facility or should we even build a – spend a lot of money on something for a boys-only sport? Mm-hmm. Um and granted, yes, it is open to girls, but we all know it's 99.9% a guy sport. Uh, and that's a legitimate question. And so there was that presentation to the board saying, hey, it's not just a boy sport. We'll have you know non-varsity competitions we don't have any schools around us that play soccer um and we're we're so remote all of the schools around us do play football baseball basketball volleyball that's pretty much it run track so we can use the field for conditioning for our other varsity sports we'll use it for pe so we had to explain to the school board yes it's going to be a multi-use field just a field in itself but as far as the other community parts that's critical, especially when you pursue larger foundational grants. Uh, foundations want to spend their money in ways that's going to benefit a lot of different people, and which makes sense. If you're going to build something, build it so that a lot of people can use it and enjoy it, uh, regardless of their age or uh, athletic ability. Um, And so that's what we chose to do. And we recognized and identified several things in our town that we don't have. We don't have a good place for people to go for a nice walk. Um, We had people, some elderly people in our town driving to Trinidad so they could walk on a treadmill uh, for their cardiovascular health. We're like, well, that's silly. Let's do that here. Let's make a nice, we don't have sidewalks. It's a tiny town with a bunch of dirt streets. Um, Let's make a nice walking path. We don't have an outdoor shaded place for a big, big picnics or big classroom activities or big functions so we're having we're going to build a nice big shaded structure uh, for outdoor stuff right next to the football field so that it's you know community groups can use it church groups ffa groups uh family reunions you name it foundations want to and are way more excited about bigger it let's include and involve everybody Projects and so that's why we expanded it. Now, yes, the primary goal is get a football field built, but I mean, what will actually impact more people that will they'll use it themselves will be all the other stuff um, that'll be a, a neat big draw. And in, in addition to a, just in addition to the football field,
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, obviously, the YouTube video was a huge hit and kind of a viral sensation. What other social media platforms did you find useful?
1: Well, we, you know, um, it was, it's kind of fun. I'm in my mid forties. I I guess I haven't really jumped on a lot of the other stuff other than Facebook. So I'm not on Instagram or TikTok, or I don't even tweet, but I relied on people, the younger people in our leadership team to say, Hey, I'm going to put stuff out here. Those of you on those other platforms, push it all out there too yeah. you know i i did i decided you no know, i it makes no sense for me who i don't have any followers or push or influence on any of those other platforms so for us we stuck with what we knew and what we knew was putting stuff on facebook you know we had our our project website that we would put updates on, but everything else we would push out on Facebook and ask people to share it, share it, share it, share it, share it. Mm-hmm. So whatever platform a school uses or a team uses or a group uses, or what other people in their leadership spheres use, jump on those. Don't try to do something new just for the project. Stick with what you know and do it well. That would be my, my advice there.
0: That's great. Yeah. Now just on terms uh two more things on lessons learned, Uh, what are some things that worked well for you that maybe you didn't expect?
1: Things that worked well that I didn't expect. Oh goodness. Um, gosh, what, what's not on that list? (laughs) Um, letting, letting the kids tell the story, you know, and, and letting the story tell itself. You know, I thought I was going to have to be a salesman and go door to door and knock down every, you know, every business and just put on my saleship, salesmanship hat. But in reality, um, People respond to kids and people want to help kids. They don't want to help an AD in his mid forties. And it's not about me. Um, So trusting that others could tell the story just as good and better than I can. And in fact, they do. Um, So it's, it's been neat getting people involved, getting kids involved, getting kids ideas about what the field should look like, or what this part of the YouTube video, we should tell this joke. Oh, we should do this. This would be funny. Um, and trusting their sense of humor more than my sense of humor. Um, so it, it was neat. I, I, that blew my mind to see the creativity from those around me. Um, and then to see just everybody's generosity when you would put, put the story out there and let it tell itself and telling it in a positive way. I thought, man, we're going to have to beg, borrow and steal. There's no begging. It was, Hey, we're doing something amazing. Come be a part of this. If you want to, if not, we're going to get there anyway, but if you can be a part of it, if you'd like, um, so that that kind of wowed me. Just letting the tell the story tell itself. That was probably the big biggest lesson learned.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a great story. It's a uh, you know an opportunity. You probably sat in that first meeting and got defensive and said you, you guys don't want to play at our field. I don't believe this and turned it into a, you know a huge positive. And you could tell you were the right guy for this job. You know from start to finish. So congratulations on the project. It's been great to hear about it. I'm sure so many coaches are going to benefit from. Uh, you know, your story and hearing how how you got it done. So thanks so much for joining us and thanks for being on the FNF Coaches Podcast. Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Branson High Athletic Director Brad Doherty for joining the podcast and sharing fundraising tips that we can all use. Check out the link to Branson High's fundraising project page in the podcast description. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production.